Welcome to Sad Styles Productions. Let me run you through our daily specials. On Tuesday, relive your childhood gaming memories on the Retrograde Podcast. On Thursday, the Jackass crew relives the pain and glory of the TV show Jackass. Also on Thursday, Mikey and Brian let you in on all the secrets of sports marketing on the sign-off, a Frameworth podcast. On Fridays, losing money with Andrew Baskin helps satisfy your 20-minute sports gambling fix. Keep your hands inside the car at all times. Enjoy the ride. Get into it. Coming up... A Sad Styles production. Hello and welcome. My name is Mike Aaronworth, signing on to the Sign Off, a Frameworth podcast for yet another week. And I am joined, uh, as always, by my trusty sidekick, Brian Aaronworth. We'll do this little preamble a little bit before. President of Frameworth, and we're joined by a special guest. Played junior for the London Knights until he was drafted 21st overall by the California Golden Seals in 1975, where he broke the record for shorthanded goals in a rookie season with five. Well-known not just for a fantastic career, but in particular for a 60-goal season with the Washington Capitals in 1982, when he set the still-standing Washington Capitals season record for points at 136. We are joined by the one and only Dennis Marouk. Thank you so much for joining us, Dennis. How are you doing today? Uh, It's great to be here. Thanks. Great. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us. So as we always do on this podcast, one of the things that we like to talk about, apart from just what goes on on the uh, rink and in the arenas, is talk about the business of sports, which happens behind the scenes. Uh, Dennis, uh, I know one thing that we do have in common. We had earlier on on this podcast, uh, Ken Reed, uh, host on Sportsnet, also a writer in his own right, uh, who he had collaborated with us, apart from the podcast, to do the biography for Eddie Shack. Uh, a man I'm, I'm sure you're, you're familiar with there. You also wrote a book with Ken Reed. Is that, is that correct? Yes, it is. Ken was uh, my partner, yes. And uh, how was that process? We gonna, not that we need to get any uh, dirt on Ken Reed necessarily, but uh, you know, a great guy to work with, a uh, friend of the podcast and, and friend of Frameworks as well. Why don't you explain that, uh, that experience you had a little bit? Oh, I met with uh, <clears throat> one fellow, uh, not, not Ken at the time, and he said, uh, we, start, we start talking about stories about Oh, my career and post-career, all that kind of stuff. And uh, he said, you got to talk to this other guy, uh, uh, Ken Reed. He writes books, and uh, you guys should, uh, should team up. So uh, Ken and I played in a golf a golf event, and then uh, a few days later, we sat down and, and chatted. And uh, I thought I was just for a nice little lunch, but it ended up being about four- to five-hour lunch break where I was just <laughs> going on and on and on about stories. And he said, yeah, we, we you should write a book. I go, well, I'm not really ready to write a book right now. I'm, I've still got a lot more things in my life to do. Uh, so I, you know, went home and then we teamed up again and I thought about it and, and I said, well, okay, Ken, let's do it. Um, I'm going to write some stuff. You're going to write, we're going to go over it, over it, see what's right, what's wrong. And then, uh, we'll put it together, but this is how I want it done. I read a lot of James Patterson books. Okay. The author, great, great author yeah. and all short chapters. It's nice. It's easy read and you always want to read on I said well I'm 60 years old I scored 60 goals and I want 60 chapters hey there you go I like that these short chapters and that's how we and he said that's a great idea so we started off and, and my, my book is not where you read it the first chapter is not about uh, uh, I grew up uh, eight, year, eight years old playing hockey in uh, Rexdale Ontario playing house league I started off on uh, being a, a, a cruise ship going out to the golf there for the oil rig. That's where I was working. That's a, that's an so, interesting way to start things changed, out there. Change the stories a lot. That's amazing. <laughs> and what, what was your favorite part about writing that book? I mean, obviously, you know, you have a lot of people out there who are interested in how, you know, someone who's working on a, a ship on the oil rig ends up uh, scoring 60 goals for the Washington Capitals. What, why don't you walk us through that process a little bit? What, what, what happened in your life that got you finally focused on, on, on hockey and, and shifted that, uh, that feeling of your life? Well, you know, a pretty pretty successful hockey career. I uh, played with some teams that were not real strong, and um, you know, I never never won a Stanley Cup. I went to the semifinals, so I thought there were some good things about dealing with adversity. About uh, I was told at a, at a, a, you know junior even that I was too small to play in, in junior, too small to play in the NHL, and that I, I wasn't going to make it. So. I had to deal with that for for a long time, so I I just kept pushing myself, pushing myself, and and tried to play in the big man's game. I got drafted by California. I had some three great years in junior, sorry, first, and then uh, I won rookie of the year, and then I also won most valuable player in the OHL. OHL. So I had some pretty good credentials, uh, scoring uh, points, everything was good. Uh, and then uh, you know I thought I was a first rounder. Um, 
and I, I got first picked in the second round. And I, th- I know the reason was because of my size. And right. California Golden Seals took me and uh, I, I ended up scoring, uh, you know, 30 goals my first year uh, at a, a buck. I was 158 pounds. So I was going to beat up a little bit. But, now, um, were you, you know, always a, a goal scorer? Wait, was was goal scoring always your that was always your powers? I mean, we talked to a lot of players uh, on this podcast who who I mean, uh, you know, Wendell Clark, Doug Gilmore, who kind of had to change their game quite a bit once they got into the league. Doug Gilmore famously they said if you can check, if you you can you can play, uh, and he had to go from a goal scorer to more of a checker. When when you finally entered into the pros, was there anything about your game that had to change accordingly? I don't know if you read the book, but definitely. Uh, after my junior, when I got drafted, I had a golf tournament. I was sitting with Dave Hutchison, uh, great, great man, played in uh, what Chicago, Toronto, and all that. And we're sitting there, and I said, Hutch, uh, I, I said, you, you played a year, uh, two years in NHL. What's what do you got to do to, you know, uh, to 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 survive and all that kind of stuff? And you know, the funniest thing came out. I said, Danny, you can you can score goals, you can make plays, you can do all that kind of stuff, but you got to be a prick. <laughs> and I went, well, what do you mean? In which way? He says, you got to hit guys. You got to, no matter who they are, you, you know, you got to get yourself some space. Uh, if you got to fight, you got to fight. If you got a spear, you got a spear. If you got a crash deck, you got to do all that. That was all part of the game at that time, right? And I go, well, okay. But he said, you still got to do your job. You still got to make plays. You still got to score goals, but you got to create a different outlook of who you are. So that's what I did when I went to training camp. That's exactly what I did. And, and they still didn't offer me a contract. And so I had a, an exhibition game against Los Angeles Kings. And um, I had scored a couple goals and I was the first star. And I played against Marcel a lot that game. And the GM tapped me on the shoulder and said, call your agent, which was at that time, Boom Boom Jeffrey on. And uh, tell him to come, to, we're going to sign a contract when you get back to Oakland. So that's why I had to just keep proving, yeah. Well, you mentioned actually, uh, you know, Oakland and, and kind of the the path that your career took. As I mentioned at the the top of the episode, a lot of what we like to focus on here is the uh, the overall business of sports. And, and your career was very much coming to fruition at the time that the league was kind of in flux between uh, uh, the, the NHL, the WHA. You were also drafted by the Cleveland Crusaders uh, in 1975 as well, right? What was your decision yeah, so to go for the Golden Seals over another league? Well, everybody, every Toronto boy or anybody wants to play in the National Hockey League. Right. It was kind of a cute little story I got with that because uh, I, I played uh, lacrosse and I was a goalie in lacrosse. And I was really going to play for the Montreal pro team in lacrosse, a goalie. And I did because I didn't know anything about what was going to happen with the NHL or where right. I was going to get drafted. And I, I, I really enjoyed lacrosse. I was a goalie. I had wow. a lot of fun with it. Wow. But I ended You're up not going to get 60 play, goals play. a season playing goalie, but you know, yeah. you, maybe you'll let well, in 60 goals. Who knows? <laughs> I did score a bunch of goals as a goalie because there was you no really? outside. I just delayed penalty, run down, stand in front of their net, and get they pass it to me, and I try and score. That's amazing. <laughs> so, I love that. Uh, it's kind of interesting, but. But yeah, that's just the, that's the way it was. And uh, the Crusaders was world hockey. And, you know, my dream was to play as a kid growing up watching Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, Hockey Night in Canada and all that. I wanted to play in the NHL. That was that was my path. That's where I wanted to go. And, you know, I got I got drafted by a team that was not real strong. So I was able to make the team uh, the first year. And, and I think that's where if I'd have been drafted by Montreal or, you know, Boston or someone else that had real strong, I, I might have been in the minors of, first year or two but um you know I, i'm sure that uh, if i would how i worked and how things went that i would have probably made it well let, let me ask you one question because so many times i hear this uh players that have been in uh started uh in lacrosse right and uh john Tavares was great at lacrosse there's so many players that played lacrosse now it wasn't uh, uh, as much of a mainstream sport with me when I was growing up and I went kind of in the same age group as right. you, but we didn't have the opportunity uh, as much, but is there a relationship between playing lacrosse and playing hockey? Like guys, is it the hands? Is it coordination? Does lacrosse help you um, specifically in your hockey? You think? Definitely. I think there's uh, there's a lot of sports that can help in hockey, but I think lacrosse gave you your, uh, one thing was because it was a, a conditioning sport too. It was excellent. You're running all the time, 
your uh, your eyeball eyepot contact your your read and react your quickness it created all that and that definitely would help and you look go down the list of guys that played uh in the, played in the nhl that were lacrosse players as you mentioned a few of them uh i think know, even Gary wayne played like yeah you go down the list of guys brennan shannon all these guys that were were great players in nhl and, and they go well they were great lacrosse players adam Oates. adam Oates played with my younger brother in toronto for rexdale warriors and 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 he was just a short smaller than everybody else but he was one of the best lacrosse players did you were there any nhl players that you played lacrosse with like who was the best nhl player you've played lacrosse with play lacrosse with uh, you can say yourself if you uh, want if you want to say yourself you can do so uh no i was a goalie you know there's another guy that played lacrosse was uh he's no longer with us but uh jim petty i don't know if you remember jim petty was drafted by uh the Boston Bruins, he was a goalie and he played out and he was a real strong player. Uh, you know, Stan Jonathan, we played against, I, he was up in Peterborough and he was, he was a, you know, tough hockey player, but used to seeing him play lacrosse. He was unbelievable. He could really shoot the ball. So he was one guy that I, I, you know, I always looked at guys that were shooters now because I had to stop him. I was a goalie. And uh, he, not only was he tough, you know, a little guy, tough playing lacrosse, but boy, he could really shoot that ball. And that was the thing that uh, I noticed a lot of guys is is the as Brian just mentioned about the 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 connection with the game is I think it's the speed and the, the coordination of the hands and and timing and all that definitely a great game for conditioning right love that yeah now to go back to the NHL for a little bit I I think one of the most interesting elements of your career non stat wise and non not not to do with the the way that you played the game specifically but the the I mentioned the word flux earlier, but the financial instability of some of the teams that you were playing with between the years 1976 and 78. I'm curious as a player, uh, you started with California, as we mentioned, they shifted to the Cleveland Barons in 76 and then merged with the North Stars. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Cleveland Barons, who are they now? Yeah, Uh, the the Minnesota North Stars in 78, who retained your rights. during that time, I mean, it was clear that these shifts were happening as a result of some financial instability within the league. You know, the league was trying to help. They allowed for the merger. Um, did you feel that as a player at all? Did you feel like you were given a little bit of the the, the short end of the stick, so to speak? Uh, uh, maybe not having access to the same sort of amenities. Uh, maybe not being able to negotiate similar contracts. How did? What were you thinking going through all that? Well, you know, as a as a lad being 19 years old, being drafted, and then, uh, you know, making uh, very little money in the juniors a week. But uh, when I when I signed my first contract with Oakland, 30000 40000 50000 the three-year contract, and I got a $30,000 signing bonus. I thought Ooh, it was yeah. a millionaire. Financial instability uh, need not I, apply. That's, that uh, was yeah. unbelievable. Look, like a 19-year-old kid getting a 30000 check in 1975. That was pretty pretty impressive. Not bad. So, uh, you know, the thing, the story was, you know, we always try and give something to our parents. And I asked my parents what they wanted. I figured they wanted a new car. <laughs> but, uh, no, they, they wanted a pool. Oh, so okay. I bought them a pool. And they wanted to do that to have their friends come over socially and play cards you know, barbecue and sit by, and, and sit by going in the water. But they, my parents never swam. We had to have <laughs> they just had it, so they would just go in and get wet. They never knew how to swim. <laughs> so why would they want a pool? Okay, so there you go. But then, yeah, well, Oakland, uh, you know, and then I thought Oakland would have been great uh, the way things are going. And then, and then at the end of the year, we find out that uh, they wanted to build a bigger arena, arena in San Francisco. And the mayor and that they voted against it, so they they want they had to move the team, so they moved it to Cleveland, and we played on uh, Richville Coliseum, which is a kind of the Wizard of Oz building castle. <laughs> it was uh, in nowhere and twenty one thousand seats, but hardly anybody came to the game. Sure. And uh, so in Cleveland, there in seventy six seventy eight, uh, we we didn't get uh, paid for a month, and we were really the players were really. Really, really getting kind of pissed off and really worried about what was what's going on here. Uh, so then we find out that uh, the team is going to fold, and and uh, let's see that we were we were going to go on a dispersal draft. So Buffalo was in town, uh, and um, we uh, both played that night against Buffalo. And after a warm uh, pregame skate, we all went out and had lunch, had a few beers, a few pops. 
uh, saying our goodbyes because we we're going to go on a draft the next day or two. Oh, wow. And uh, we got a phone call at 4.30 in the afternoon from Alan Eagleson saying that uh, the league took care of the insurance for you guys. You get your money and uh, you need to play tonight. Well, wait a minute here. What <laughs> What do you mean play the game tonight? There's no way we got to reschedule it. No, we ended up playing. We lost 6-2. to two. And we ended up getting final, getting, you know, paid and all that kind of stuff, finished up the year. And then, and then of course, uh, the second year, they uh, merged with the Minnesota. So there was no real stability, no structure. So as a young player going into the NHL, I wonder what's going on here. Is this really the NHL? I mean, what is the NHL all about? Why are we, you know, going from uh, city to city. Why can't there be some kind of stability in, in my life or all the other players going through the same thing? So that was a, a real struggle and frustration going on in my early careers and the business side of it. And then, of course, when the merge came, that uh, there's so many players in Minnesota. Lou Nanny, the GM, wanted to keep his center money, and he was looking for a first-round pick to pick up a left winger. Well, he ended up trading me to Washington Capitals. Right. And he got a first round, and that, that pick was Tom McCarthy. So there you go. And ended up going to Washington and played five years there and then uh, traded back to Minnesota and played six more. Uh, yeah, you played, I, I believe it was only two games for the North Stars uh, prior to being yeah. traded. Uh, and yeah. I, and I was I was curious, though, because I've I've always had this fascination with players who get traded. I mean, look, I'm, I'm someone who's been far removed from the NHL. I had no chance of making it. Uh, uh, House League may not even have taken me. So that, that's another story. But when I hear about people being traded, I always wonder if you feel like the deal was fair. You know, like you're going to be comparing yourself with a first round pick as well as the player that's going. What were your thoughts there? What You know, you hear about the trade. Are you thinking, oh, I'm so much better than that guy. Are you kidding me? Or, or was there any ill will? Or are you feeling okay about it? Well, you know, when you when you make when you trade it, you want to be traded in summer basically so that you can go to that place and get situated, uh, you know, with the city, you know, whether you're renting a home or buying a home at that time. And, you know, I knew that in the summer that I was going to be traded. He had told me, Lou Nanny had mentioned to me, he says, I'm, you know, and then there was no trade. And about a week before camp, he said, come on to Minnesota. The fans are going to love you, blah, blah, blah. Well, I called my lawyer, uh, which was Alan Eagles at the time. And then he uh, he said, no, no, there's two teams that are interested in it. Just go over in a house. And so I went to camp, and then that's what I – in the three games, I got dressed the one game. Uh, I think I had one shift. Harry Howell was a coach, and I asked him after the game. I says, you know, you know, is something going on? He says, yes. He told me something was going on. Just be patient. Uh, I said, okay. And then the next day, we had a, a home game in Minnesota, and I dressed Harley played uh, and all that kind of stuff. So then I got traded. So I had to just deal with that and just move on. I mean, that's what you do. You – you go to a team that uh, that wants you. You leave the team that uh, I guess they don't want you, and uh, try and better their team. So I went to Washington and I had some great seasons there. That yeah, you did. You well, absolutely yeah. did, and and you helped lead them to their first playoff berth as well, I believe. Right? You were you were on that team. Are there? Yeah, any yeah. that was the top division. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any specific memories of the playoffs that uh, that stick out? You you mentioned you made the semifinals. Um, uh, but those playoff runs, I mean, was that just a completely different atmosphere? What was it like playing in Washington at those times? And, and what were, what was the financial situation compared to the teams that you had played with prior? Did you, did you feel a change when you made that shift? Uh, in Washington, there was, uh, we called it, it was save the caps campaign. They were going to fold too. Oh, wow. Uh, they From were not getting team. the attendance at all there and at the, the late, Hey, Poland was the owner, and he just said, "This is enough is enough. I got to find out if people really want hockey here in uh, in Washington." And I think it just wasn't really educated, as I say, or educated <laughs> uh, the game of hockey there in D.C. And it took a few years. Um, uh, we did save the caps. They ended up getting uh, more season ticket holders, and he kept the team. And then they started making trades, start making changes. And, and you know things were things are pretty good for me and uh, even though the, the team was was struggling a little bit we finally made the playoffs and then uh you know those years that I had 50 goals and 60 goals in the 1982 all-star game was in was in Washington and I was the uh the lone player from the Capitals to, to perform in there and of course I was uh last one to get introduced and uh, an outstanding ovation 
that was better than uh, Gretzky and Messi and all those guys that were playing. <laughs> and they went on for for a good minute, a couple minutes. And so I was pretty, uh, that's kind of my Stanley Cup that I look back to that's that amazing. I never got was being there because my parents were able to be there for the whole week. We got lunch at the White House. Wow. Got to wow. meet President Reagan um, during during that time. So that, that was a pretty neat year, 82 in Washington, yeah. Now, uh, you mentioned your parents and food in the same sentence, which cues me to a question that I want to ask because uh, you are a Canadian-Ukrainian, correct? You got it. Pierogies. 100%. Pierogies, yay or nay? Put a hat. <laughs> my wife is Ukrainian my too. Go ahead, my Ukrainian. That's about all I know. Go yeah. ahead. <laughs> yeah, we uh, yeah we we have some Ukrainian blood in us as well, and uh, we oh, so great. we share that 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 affinity towards the pierogies. That's that's right. A good they frozen pierogi. Yeah, Ukrainians we, make the best cabbage rolls. <laughs> we we make the best a lot of things when it comes to food. That's for sure. Um, now, what I want to do kind of is shift a little bit because you mentioned the sixty goal season and, and that era of your career being kind of like your Stanley Cup. Um, what was it like, was there a clear before and after moment when you had hit 60 goals? Cause one thing that we do love to talk about here, you know, we had Daryl Sittler on talking about the 10 point night, Doug Gilmore talking about the wraparound goal and how these mm-hmm. moments of legend kind of define a player's career and become sort of the basis by which fans remember you. Um, once, once you got that 60 goal season, what changed for you moving forward? Well, the fact that we we're trying to chase that guy that I think had 92 goals, <laughs> 202 points or whatever he had. Uh, I think his name was Gretzky. I've heard of him. Um, I've heard of him. Bossy had 63 and I I had 60. I was third. And I had a few games left, two or three games, and I just couldn't score. I had chances, but I ended up stuck at 60. But, you know, during that, during that whole season and that, uh, you know, um, uh, my line mates were Chris Valentine and, and – uh, Ryan Walter and we we stayed together the whole year. We're on a power play together. And when you get on a line and you compliment each other and uh, things work well, the coach definitely doesn't want to doesn't want to move us move us around or that. And so I owe a lot of credit to those two guys that uh, you know you can't do it by yourself. And I know Gretzky would probably say the same thing. You know he had look at the guys that he had in that team that scoring all those goals and what the, the explosive team they had in the '80s. Uh, was unbelievable, and, and here's this guy, this little guy from Rexton, Ontario, getting 60 goals and 136 points, uh, and uh, and and uh, in, the, in the top 10 in the scoring race with all those other guys with Marcel Dion. So you know those things were uh, that year, and it was great to be involved with that elite group. And uh, you know the year before that, I had 50 goals, so you know I had 110 goals, so. I think there's a lot to be said in that with the book that uh, that I became a little bit uh, challenged with due to the fact that uh, I think I was in certain cities that didn't get the recognition that a lot of other guys did. Well, you know, and here's a, a, a really interesting point. Well, one, how uh, this one guy, 99, kind of stole the spotlight from a lot of unbelievably great players, right. Mike Bossy, and right. not stole the spotlight. They no. Everybody stood on their own. and but, right. The focus was was because Wayne was just, you know, lighting it up so big. Right. But Mike Boss, all those great players, 60 goals. I mean, there's not very many people that have that. And I mean, we have right now in Washington what a lot of people are calling potentially the best goal scorer, pure goal scorer of all time in Alex Ovechkin. And and he's, you know, he, he's not touching your points, you know. Like, there, there's so much to be said about the fact that the path that you laid down is something that still to this day, they've had a Stanley Cup winning team, and they haven't touched that record. But Dennis was talking about something as well, which is, you know, how your career lines up. So you had 60 goals on a team that was good, a good team. But right. can you imagine, and we, we talk about this with, uh, players like Marcel Dion, like one of the best goal scorers right. of all time, one of the best players around. And too. who also wrote the foreword of, of your book as right. well. And Marcel right. ends up in L.A. If he ends up in Montreal, he's a legend. Right, right. Like, unbelievable. And Marcel right. was just such a great player. So it's where you end up, who you're playing with. Even Sidney Crosby, three Stanley Cups. But can you imagine if he had a guy like Pat Kane on his wing? You know, sure. so, sure. like, somebody that can play up to that level uh, – you know, and feed the puck and, and, right. and give the puck to. So you do it without the supporting cast, say, that, that Wayne did. I don't, I, you had some great players on the team, but Wayne had some mm-hmm. 
every, basically right. every player. Now he made a lot of great players too. Right. Was right. there was there you know looking back? Uh, I'm, I'm sure it's it's different now. But as a player in the league, in in what a lot of people would probably call Wayne Gretzky's league at that time, was there any resentment towards the fact, maybe not him as a, as a person or a player, but towards the fact that he got so much attention and was put around such talented players, or was it just a matter of you know they're they're the big bad team that we have to face, and that's just the way that things go? No, he was he was a phenomenal player. There's no doubt about it. Uh, you know, uh, they did have great players he had great players to play with them but that's a that's a compliment to the the, the organization and the Edmonton Oilers to get all those good players and put them on a team they were the team of the 80s and right when I was in Minnesota with the North Stars uh, I think it was 84 year um, we we had to play them in the semifinals to go to the finals um, and uh, we had four great hockey games uh, we were beating them four to one in the third game in Minnesota, <clears throat> midway through second period, we lost seven five. <laughs> That's how much power they had. But they, but we didn't, we didn't sit on that four one. We played great. They just, they just woke up and said, yeah. "Oh, geez, we were, we better do something." That's just the way they were. I think players, you only, you only allowed twenty players on a team. So I think in a player's mind, you always want to win, get an opportunity to play and a chance for the Stanley Cup, and. I think in Minnesota, we had a real strong team uh, there with uh, Cicero Broad and Hartsburg and all that. Um, goaltender with Donnie Beaupre and Joe Malash. We, we had a great, great, great group. We just we just didn't have enough firepower against the Oilers. And, sure. Um, I think we had the team that could have beat them. And one game was, uh, you know, real close, 3-1 to one and 4-2. And so it was all... But I mean, you just you move on as as a hockey player. You you understand that uh, you know. I, I mean, I think Marcel look what look what he did, and he hadn't won. He hasn't won a Stanley Cup, and I think that's you were as you said putting him in Montreal. Wow, I mean, yeah, look at that. There'd totally be a different. A lot story. of Stanley Cups with, well, with Marcel. Yeah. So you know, it's just timing. It's what it is, and uh, you, your dream is to to play in the National Hockey League and to do whatever you can. Yep. Hey, Dennis, I, I wanted to touch on this. You had mentioned Al Eagleson, a controversial figure, uh, right. was your agent. How is your relationship now? It, it, like, I've talked to a lot of guys still very close with him. Other guys don't have a good word to say. How is your relationship with him, and, and how did that? Well, it, go, it goes a long way when my mom died, passed away at a young age, and Alan came to the funeral and all that. And my first year, um, when I when – I, signed that contract there was a slip of paper that was an agreement that um through my i had a, I had a uh, law firm in montreal shady saison levine and in that was if i was to score 30 goals i was i'd get a fifteen thousand dollar check for a bonus well that paper never surfaced anywhere and at the end of the year i said to the team well where's my bonus and we well, don't have a bonus I went to my agent. Where's where's the piece of paper? They had no record of it. Wow. So either they misplaced or whatever. So I, I was kind of frustrated. So I went to so I went to Alan Eagleson, which was the you know, an NHL player, uh, commissioner, right? So I went and talked to him about it. He says, "Well, if you want, they have no record of it. There's nothing to be done." I said, "Okay." So I ended up having him be my lawyer agent at that time. Uh, for my last, for my 13 years uh, playing pro, and all he did was did my contract. He didn't handle my money or anything like that. And right. uh, my relationship with Alan is as is a friend. What he did was wrong. I still see him periodically. I go up and visit him uh, from up there. Uh, he's up in uh, Collingwood there, um, and we don't talk about what he did. And 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 I think. I, I'm, I'm still, a, I'm a friend with him. Uh, what he did was wrong. And I know he probably hurt a lot of players uh, the way they feel about him. But, uh, you know, did he serve enough time? Did he serve his, I think he did. And um, of course he lost his bar license and everything like that. But I still call him my friend. I think he did a lot for the game. He did a lot for the game. And yeah, and I think there's a lot of players that uh, disagree with what I'm saying. And I think there's a lot of players that agree with me. So that's that's where I, that's where I am with him right now. Yes. If yeah. uh, if if uh, the listener's listening and doesn't know what we're talking about, Alan Eagleson, uh, uh, you can you can look up. He is currently disbarred a Canadian lawyer. Uh, some controversy there that we don't need to get into. Appreciate you speaking right. on that. 
question though was he you had mentioned that he was the executive director for the NHLPA at, at the point in time when he was was he also your agent at that time he was he was doing both no he he he, he became my my agent after um after the first year because oh. of that the uh, the bonus situation i oh, just okay. figured yeah. i thought that uh i when i was my junior my last year junior and you know because the agents are coming after you you know to, to take you as your their representative and uh i didn't get any phone calls from alan Eagleson, so i didn't think i was a, a, a strong enough high enough player drafted to be in his group so I didn't contact him and he never contacted me. So I ended up going with that Montreal firm that uh, let me down. Sure. Yeah. Now it's, uh, you know, you've mentioned a couple of times and, and just going over these stories, it just feels like this is, you know, you are kind of the the perfect uh, guest to have on this podcast because so many of, of your most interesting stories surround the, 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 the aura of the NHL in an era when it wasn't the powerhouse that we know it to be, or, or maybe it was perceived to be, but clearly, you know, with the teams that you played for and some of the controversy that, that uh, surrounded the league at the time, it wasn't quite as structured and as strong as, as we, we believe it to be now. All of these stories, and you, br- you brought this up a couple times, are in your book, Dennis Maruk, The Unfor- Unforgettable Story of Hockey's Forgotten 60-Goal Man. And I want to draw attention to that title, because obviously you chose that title. Um Explain your thinking behind hockey's forgotten 60-goal man. What is what is your sentiment behind that? Well, I think a lot has, a lot has to do with the, where I played, the places I played, and the, the, the weak teams and the franchises that I didn't get the recognition that other players did get. And, and, and I still think at times where uh, uh, I do events and stuff like that, and uh, I'll sit down with the table and there's only been 20 players ever to score 60 goals in, in the National Hockey League. And I'm one of them, but uh, there's two guys that a lot of people are going to sit around and do a little question and answer period. And I ask them, and they, the two guys that they don't find out who played, who scored 60 goals more is myself and Bernie Nichols. Bernie Nichols had 75, I think, one year. And that was the most he ever had, but when you go down the list, people get all the other guys, but they don't get us. That's fascinating. <laughs> the Burries, the Gretzky's, the Lemieux's, you know, go down the list of lines, Burry, you know, all that. So that's part of it. And I, I just think the whole thing was that, you know, I had 136 points and, and people call me a goal scorer, but I had 76 assists that yeah. year. Yeah. And uh, I had over 500 assists as a, as, as a pro hockey player. I was more of a playmaker as well, but I knew how to score. I knew, and situation, but I, I consider myself more as a playmaker and, and all that. So, and I like Ovechkin, I go to DC and all that kind of stuff and watch a few games and I meet them. And he just says, don't worry, I'm not going to break that record. That's yours. <laughs> you there's know what? No way. There's no way I'm going to get 76 assists and there's no way I'm going to get 136 points. Yeah. So he says, you get, I beat you in the goals. But uh, I love that. Uh, the I, other net, the record's going to be yours. Is so your is, you is Washington? What's that? Is Washington the team that you kind of root for now, or are you root somewhere else now? I always root for Toronto Maple Leafs and the Washington Capitals. Awesome. Mainly the Washington Capitals. Growing up as a kid, I've always wanted to play. I tried to get traded to Toronto. Yeah. And Lou Nanny wouldn't trade me because we were still in the – we are in the Chuck Norris division. (laughs) We called it the Chuck Norris 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 division. division. I love that. But uh, Wendell, you know, he'll say the same thing. But that's that's what it was, and he would never trade me there. Well, you know what? I, I'm thinking, too, in this, it's all timing and errors. And, you know, a lot of the guys that uh, c- could make make more money signing autographs than the players, the great players did back in the day. Right, right. But in, if you were playing in this era with, with the TV broadcasts, and, oh, yeah. uh, um, it's, it's a lot more global, and people would have known you better. But even today... We have players, great players on the West Coast. Right. And from our point of view in the autograph business, the memorabilia business, right. uh, if you're on an East Coast team, Toronto, Montreal, especially, New York, Chicago, Pittsburgh, uh, you're you're on the highlight reels more often because, you, you know, you make the 11 o'clock news. Right. Uh, all that stuff affects, you know, your, your ability to hit the uh, news reels, and that is affecting – your popularity, et cetera. Guys like Kopitar out in sure, the West Coast. Sure. Um, 
We right. don't we don't see it quite as much. No, you don't was, see that. Exactly. Was your was your uh, decision to finally write uh, uh, the book or, or be involved in in the release of the book was was that your attempt to set the record straight? Was it your attempt to kind of solidify your your uh, your legacy, or was it more just to tell the story of your life because it's interesting as it is? Like, was there any sense of I'm I'm putting this out there because people need to know there were players other than the superstars in the era that I played the game? Well, I think there's a, a combination of issues, uh, as you say, definitely, of course, my my uh, my career, my post career, and and things that. Uh, I had a real hard time dealing with uh, uh, post careers and stuff like that. But I think there's a lot of players that are going through in my, my era uh, have gone through the same way. Could they have wrote, uh, uh, written a, a book as well? Yeah, that wasn't the reason why I wrote the book. I just thought I had some, some positives and I had some negatives that would be nice for people to hear about that the NHL is not always all peaches and cream. There's, there's some negatives to go along with it. And a lot of people don't hear or see those negatives that go along and what it does to, to professional athletes as a person uh, and all that. So I wanted to put in all those areas uh, uh, in the book to, to that let people know that, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not the greatest thing to be a professional athlete. Did, but, you, did uh, you get any backlash from the league uh, for some of the yeah. things that, that you did? Was there anyone who reached out to you and kind of said, hey, like, you know, you know, it's kind of funny you ask that question because uh, the only negative thing that I got from anybody, not from the league, is for one of, one of the reviews that I got from somebody said it sounded like I was uh, uh, just complaining about how the league was and really you know, I was dissatisfied and all that. Other than that, people say, hey, it's a great read. We liked how you wrote the book, how you liked the short chapters. We liked how you went from... It's not an autobiography where you start out playing hockey. I like sure. how you started, sure. like how you twist and turn on your career. And, and, and also the fact that uh, I, I tried to take my life uh, one night. And, and so all those things were, were in there and, uh, and how I got out of it and, and, and things like that. So it was, you know, a life story too as well, but it's also something that, 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 people needed to hear. I want to touch on the post uh, post career a little bit because uh, the NHL alumni has come a long way in, in helping players right, right. and doing some work uh, through the years. And I've had a long relationship with the NHL alumni going back to, geez, when Rene Robert right. was running the alumni. Right. Um, and it's become a lot more professional now, but uh, obviously there's still more work to be done. And there are a lot of players that have uh, issues coming out of the NHL. Um, some players have, have uh, passed away down and out or don't have money. And, and it's important, uh, I think, for the NHL and the NHL alumni to look after their own. You know, there's obviously no worries about Wayne Gretzky and, and some of the other guys. I mean, you're making, I don't know, in your career too, I mean, you can make a little bit of a living doing autograph shows and public appearances because of your notoriety, largely because of the 60, your 60-goal season. season. Right. But right. a lot of players didn't have that. Uh, Chico Mackey was one of those guys, or, or uh, I think there was, there was a there. few guys that had yeah. big issues. Um, so, you know, in some ways, uh, you could have been looked after better by the alumni, but at least... But there's other players that uh, need more help. Well, they're they're growing. You know, it, it looks as though the alumni is t is making good strides to support players post retirement. And I think, and I think you'll probably agree with this, that one of the reasons is players like you are speaking out. It's important to do so. Now, the negative element of it, from your perspective, is that people hear you say these things, and some of them believe you're complaining which is absurd because right. you're a human being that was put through a lot. The idea of spending your whole life playing hockey, retiring, and then being kind of, you know, especially, you know, being the, the thing that's making these teams money and keeping them afloat in times when they're, like you said, about to fold, and then the league kind of ignores you. That's not complaining. That's drawing attention to a major issue. You know, it was the concussions of that era. And, and do right. you, do you, you know, you mentioned hearing people saying that it sounded like you were complaining. What about the flip side? Do you, do you have people coming to you and saying maybe other players, thanks for sharing your story? Uh, because the, you know, it was something that maybe I wasn't willing to share and, and your bravery and sharing it helped me come out with my issues. Yeah, definitely. But uh, you know, you think back to, we didn't make a lot of money. 
You know, I think my last few years I made three hundred thousand dollars. I don't mind selling it, and I think Gretzky me at that time was eight hundred thousand. That was the most in the league. So we didn't make a lot of money. So I, I, it, it was a lot of, was my fault that uh, did not start or get really ready for a post career. Uh, we always thought we could play till you know twenty years right, or whatever. Right. I got playing fourteen, but um, and and I take the blame personally that I didn't. But we were told during that time that we were going to be taken care of. We're a professional athlete. Things are going to, you have no problem getting a job when you're done, whether you're in business or whatever, you won't have any problem. Well, my, my little door was, oh, you see my hand, there was a real, one of those little things there. You can barely see through my fingers. Yeah. So I had no, uh, uh, you know, so I had to struggle. I struggled many, many years. But uh, when I moved back to Toronto, to, you know, the NHL alumni, uh, has really, really helped me out uh, financially and, and all that. Uh, you know, if it wasn't for them and family, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. So I, I owe a lot to the NHL alum and what they did and what they're doing now. The players to make, today make so much money. They don't need the NHL alumni. They don't need to do all those things. And we, we as ex athletes that are played during our time, it's nice to get a few dollars and do an event, do a signing, or, or you know, do a golf tournament, or go play, a, do some charity Easter Seals games and stuff, and make a few dollars. It's really nice because we would have never seen that kind of money during our time. Well, so, in recent years, though, we've got we've got guys like well, uh, Heels is running it. Glenn Healy and uh, yeah, uh, they brought. He's done gone a long way. We're he signed us up as a as a licensee for the right, alumni, right, and and we right. contribute through royalties for the products that we're creating. Uh, Wayne Gretzky signed something. over some of his rights, sure. so that you know, uh, some of the a lot of those dollars. You know, let's face it. Um, Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux and and your top five of all time kind of guys uh they drive a lot of business for the alumni and so if they can yeah, contribute man. a little piece of what they get to the alumni that helps the cause right so it, it's come a long yeah. way there's a lot more they have to do i mean it's it's just it's so apparent hearing you talk about what you've gone through and how you've come out on the other side with some assistance uh from from the mm-hmm. alumni uh yeah. the the book is it goes into much more detail about this. And the reason we keep bringing it up is if you're getting anything, you as the listener out of listening to this conversation, uh, absolutely check it out. It's available now on Amazon. Once again, uh, Dennis Maruk, the unforgettable story of hockey's forgotten 60 goal man, these stories and more. Is there one specific story that you might want to use that is kind of a, a teaser? It doesn't have to be uh, too dramatic. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe it is, but something that would say, Hey, if you like this kind of story, there's a lot more of this in it. Is, is there an example you can give us? Oh, well, I mean, how much time you got? <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you just read us the book verbatim? <laughs> no, I, I think that, um, you know, I, I th- thank you very much for having me on the show. And I, I think really that in, the, in today's world as a hockey player, um, I've got two, I've got grandsons that play. I just came back from Las Vegas. They're, I have a nine-year-old trip. He plays for AAA Minnesota Blades 2012, and they won the tournament. And, you know, it's really hard for players uh, to make it to the NHL today. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's so hard. And parents put so much time and money and everything. I really think that these children should not just stick to one sport. Okay. They should keep playing other sports, uh, individual sports, tennis, golf, uh you know, uh, things like that, uh, baseball, whenever they can. I know it's tough on the parents, but um, we did it when we were younger and, and all that, and I think they should do it more today. Like, there's too much emphasis on uh, I got to get extra trainers, I got to get extra this, I, my kid's going to be the next Gretzky, my kid's going to be let the child have fun with the game. Definitely. Whatever you know, happens, Wayne, happens. Wayne feels know? the exact same way. He said it many, many times. So you guys are so that's interesting that a lot of guys say that. Wayne says way too much time on the ice. Get yeah. take the summer and play some baseball. Take some other things. You right. don't if you're good and you and you you're focused and you're motivated, that's more than anything. You right, know, you right. can be a talented player, but if you don't have the desire 
and keep the desire as you get That's through your fair. teenage yeah. years and the girls come into play and all sorts of oh, other yeah. distractions. Everything. Yeah, you've got to be. I mean, be. How, how often is it that a player makes it to whatever they think that next tier is going to be, whether it's university or something, and then their perspective shifts. You know, they find another passion in life, whether it's it's finding partners or or it's it's another sport or it's partying. Um, you know, that's liable to happen at any point, and it's more likely if they only view hockey as a job rather than something that they that they thoroughly right. enjoy. Right. Um, so that's all good advice. Hey, yeah. Hey, Dennis. I, uh, on a lighter note, I wanted to cool. uh, uh, touch base with a couple of shout outs to some mutual friends. First time I met you. Uh, Ron Bastien Baz came, brought you into the office, and we sat in my office <laughs> and we started talking yeah. about memorabilia and all that. I have, I just, uh, he was here the, just the other day, but he lives oh, in Florida great. most of the year. Have you seen him lately? No, I just talked to him a few times on the phone. That's it. Yeah. And then, <laughs> yeah. and then the other guy that I'm really looking forward to get back to after COVID because I haven't seen him in a year and a half. And I know he's a good mutual friend, is Mike McKenzie. We spent many times up in his private box watching hockey games he's, up there drinking a little Amarone. Yeah. Hey, Mike, Mike's uh, the big M. Yeah. He's, you, you know him more longer than I have. I met him through a, an event down in Florida. Because um, he works with the Snowbirds, I believe, yeah. right? Yeah, works for Snowbirds, right? The, the Snowbird guys, yeah. But, but uh, he's been pretty sick off and on. I've, I've con- I was, we were supposed to meet up with him uh oh a few weeks ago or something and uh he he got sick and i was down in toronto and at the inter- intercontinental there and and we we're supposed to team up and he said no we'll have to change it but uh i'm sure i'll run into him soon there's no doubt about it uh he's he's a great man as you know and likes to have a good time but uh <laughs> just a just a great man well mutual right? friends with all of friend. us because we had john mcdermott on the show on oh the yeah show a few weeks oh. back and of course he was the first one to introduce me to Mike because uh, we talked about walking from the Platinum Lounge all the way up through yeah. the town without a ticket yeah. into the yeah. uh, private box and we'll yeah. uh, as 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 the podcast continues this uh, motley crew of names people will recognize them more and more <laughs> they get caught up almost as characters Brad Jansen is one of them now that that you know everyone we yeah. have on mentions him at some point um, we're yeah. running a little low on time I want to get just briefly spend a couple minutes on your perspective on the memorabilia industry in general now my my dad had mentioned earlier that your opportunity for signings and the products that you're going to sign are often likely going to have inscriptions of 60 goals. They're going to revolve around that 60 goal season. As you mentioned, I believe it was what 20 other players who had, or there are only 20 players who had gotten 60 goals. Um, what, what does that mean to you? Like what, what does memorabilia mean to you when you were growing up? Did you have a, an affinity towards autographs and signed product? And how do you think the industry has shifted uh, maybe around you, you know, given that you've, you've had these accomplishments in your career? Well, it certainly has helped in uh, the pocketbook a little bit for me. And, and uh, I've always remember Wayne Gretzky saying, make sure when you sign your, your name that people can read it. Yes, very important. And it comes I, up all I, the time. All the time. From, and especially read the guy's signatures today. You can barely make it out yeah. who, who it is. Unless you know and you took a picture of it and you, you, you remind yourself that's, a, that's that person. But that's what I did. And, and I, I thank Brian for doing a lot of things for me uh, throughout the years uh, at Framework there because, uh, you know, I didn't make a lot of money. And I look at, I've had some pretty good seasons in hockey and I'm in that elite group of 60. It'd be kind of nice to have a have an event for all the 60 goal scorers to get out yeah, there. I think that'd idea. be kind of a neat event. Uh, even not that I'm in Minwood or do it with all the 50 plus, uh, 50 goal scorers up to, you know, yeah. Mr. Mr. Gretzky, 92, you know, <laughs> I think it'd be kind of nice to have a, 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 a event or golf event that would sell out in no time. It feels like it like and, and be a great yeah. event for the alumni as well. I mean, for, for people yeah. who are listening, one, one thing that, you know, us as, as people who are in the industry, we talk about this as though it's common knowledge, but it isn't quite when we talk about the alumni helping people out, a lot of it has to do with putting on these events where, A, the players who take part will make money off of it, but there's also, as my dad mentioned, the royalties, which is an essentially essentially almost like a pooled uh, fund 
for the alumni that can be distributed and dispersed among its members. So by all the 60 goal scorers getting together for an event, that benefits everyone in the alumni in some capacity by strengthening what the alumni's power is and by actually putting dollars in in their pockets. So all these things are are, uh, kind of incumbent or or, or encapsulate what it is that we like to talk about, which is uh, the business of sports around uh, the game that was played. Um, Anything that you're working on apart from that? Uh, What what, what do you do these days as the alumni have you uh, up to no good representing them or what, what, what are you doing? <laughs> well, they're, they're, well, we're like wonderful COVID-19, you know, so uh, we're uh, a lot of the events, a lot of events were, you know, canceled or, or put on hold. And I think things are starting to come up now. I got a few golf events coming up. Uh, also got to get ready. I'm, I got engaged uh, three times a charm. I'm getting married New Year's <laughs> Eve. There you go. Congratulations. Uh, Congratulations. In London, Ontario. So uh, I live here in London and Amelia has been just great. She works for Western University and she's uh, just a wonderful, wonderful person. So we're, we're both, it's our third time. So uh, that's it. There you go. <laughs> three times a charm, right? <laughs> Perfect. Uh, other than that, uh, I'm, I'm, I've worked recently with, uh, with the ice rinks, a boy that, uh, his name is uh, Jaden Myers. I uh, was drafted by Peterborough Peets. Um, I'm 16, and I've been on the ice a couple times with them. It sounds like I, he might want me to be his little mentor and help oh, him cool. out, and cool. and all that. So I like I like doing things like that. And I'm, you know, I used to work up at Huntsville at a hockey school, and I just found out that they're they're opening up, and then they want me to come back up there in August to do. Uh, work with uh, the kids down there. I enjoy working with the kids and I work on shooting a lot with them. Awesome. Nice. That's yeah. great. Well, uh, we're, we're getting, uh, getting low here, but we do appreciate the time that you spent with us. Uh, before we go, dad, anything else? Uh, to no, say I just, uh, appreciate Dennis coming on. We've, uh, we've known each other for quite some time and hopefully when things open up a little bit, Dennis, we're going to get you back in here. We'll do some signings. Absolutely. We have the Toronto sports card show coming up. Uh, we're not as involved in terms of the autograph right. signing booths as we used to be, but I know we had you there once. Yeah. So right. if I, if we can, you know, try and do, we've had some great events here in the framework showroom totally. where we've had Wayne Gretzky and I think you came in a few Mario Lemieux right. and Bobby Orr. I've all appeared here. So hopefully we can get that back up and running. Uh, but in the meantime, thank you, Dennis, for, for uh, spending the time with us. We really appreciate it. Fascinating stories all around, yeah. Yeah, thank you. My pleasure. Anytime. And, uh, uh, Brian, thanks for what you're doing. That's awesome. Thank Perfect. You. So Anytime. one one last time, guys, uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, absolutely go out and uh, find a copy of Dennis Maruk, The Unforgettable Story of Hockey's Forgotten 60-Goal Man. Came out in 2017, but it's not going stale and it's not going anywhere. So get your copy now. Dennis, thank you once again for joining us. Uh, as always, Brian Aaronworth, president of Frameworth, and uh, myself, Mikey Aaronworth, host of the Sign Off Podcast. And this is us signing off. Great. Oh, that was great. Dennis. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we made it to the end of yet another episode. Thanks again so much for joining us. You can find videos of all of our episodes on YouTube by searching the Sign Off Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Frameworth Sport or Instagram at Frameworth Sports. And hey, if you're not sick of me yet, you can find me on Twitter over at, at Retrograde Mikey, or you can always find me embarrassing myself over on Instagram at Aaronworth. The Sign Off is a proud product of Fadu Productions and Sad Styles Productions, executive producers Mikey Aaronworth and Andrew Bass. Until next week, this is Mikey Aaronworth signing off. Furnished by Sad Styles Productions. Get into it!